0: The Fantasy Animation Podcast is a completely independent production. It is made by experts in the field. Chris is a lecturer in Liberal Arts and Visual Cultures Education at King's College London and author of The Computer Animated Film, available in all good bookshops. And I, Alex that is, am a Senior Lecturer in Film and Media Studies at the University of Portsmouth and author of Encountering the Impossible, the Fantastic in Hollywood Fantasy Cinema, available in even better bookshops. We do this podcast to provide audiences with an informative and hopefully entertaining guide through the ways in which you can not only enjoy fantasy and animation, but study it, examine it, explore it, and of course, make it and have a career in it. I hope you enjoy the show. Listeners and welcome to another episode of the fantasy animation podcast. I'm Alex Sargent and I'm Chris Holiday. Chris, it's our Halloween special—a spooky time of year as always—and <laughs> we have a, a seasonal treat for our listeners yes. in Paranorman, uh, the like uh, horror, fantasy, stop motion. What else is it? Lots yeah. of other things that we'll play with. Um, a movie I had not seen before, but yep. very yep. much enjoyed watching and did. I think when you when we spoke about it, you told me it's a bit like Monster House. It's a bit like some other that we've counted on the thing. But I thought it was very rich and and interesting, interesting film. So I'm excited to talk about it from lots of different angles. How about you? Yes,
1: I mean I've got a really basic question about stop motion's relationship to horror and whether whether we can go beyond. Okay, stop motion is unusual and uncanny. And okay, so but but what else is there? Sure. So I'm interested in talking about horror in relation to stop motion, of course, and also the the use of CGI in stop motion films as an interesting proposition. So uh, there's some kind of stuff written about stop motion films often have little moments where it's it's CG or it's digitally enhanced and sort of how do we negotiate that? different mixing of media and, and maybe how that kind of works in yeah, yeah, relation yeah. to and horror so i'll chuck in some stuff around also 3d color printing as well probably cool
0: <laughs> cool uh, always interested in talking about horror and it's kind of yeah as the kind of you know uh the wicked stepchild of fantasy and like kind of the id to fantasy ego and that sort of stuff it sounds like we need a horror expert to help us out though um we so don't. thank god we're joining that was one of the worst guess. segues
1: you've ever done
0: I thought it was quite good. Okay. Um, luckily, we're joined by Stacey Abbott. Uh, Stacey, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi. Thank you. Uh,
0: Stacey is um, a, a, an expert in horror. Would be to do an injustice to yep. her CV. She's taught on, a, on this subject on a wide range of subjects on a wide range of film programs. Her research focuses on gothic and horror genres in film and television, with a particular interest in the vampire and zombie. Um, so very helpful for today's discussion. Yeah. Um, and has worked on a range of topics dealing with horror and animation. Um, she. Has so uh, um, a book she is working on engaging precisely in this issue of the relationship between horror and animation, but she's published widely on this subject, um, including a recent edited collection on global TV horror co-edited with Lorna Jowett. Um, Stacey will be from January 2024 will be the professor of film um, of uh, Northumbria University, but today she's here to talk about paranormal. So Stacey, uh, thanks for coming on the show, and what is it about paranormal that particularly kind of struck your fancy when we started chatting about you coming on the show?
2: Um, hi, thanks for having me on the podcast. And um, I think there are lots of, uh, of really interesting um, children's-oriented or family-friendly horror films. But I think for me, Paranormal, one of the reasons I was quite interested in it is because because I think it's probably one of the most successful in terms of actually pushing the boundaries of what's acceptable in terms of scaring children like I actually saw it and thought this is actually quite scary and I had some friends say is this is this suitable for my children and I was going I don't have children so I don't know (laughs) but I do think it pushes the boundaries and walks a very careful line about in recognizing the pleasures of horror for kids Um, and actually taking us to that edge and then, but not going too far where it suddenly, where you think actually you've crossed the line and the audience you may be targeting are not going to be able to see it or are going to find it too scary. Mm. So I love that aspect of it. And I love the idea of of them wanting to make a zombie film for kids. Mm. Um, And I think it works really well as a zombie film. So those are kind of the things I was interested in um, and why I first thought, no, I think it's a really successful film in terms of what it's trying to do.
1: So the the category of, of, of children's horror. So first of all, came okay, So what, what does what does that mean as a category? And I, I I'm struck for when you said recognizing this is a film that recognizes the pleasure of horror for, for children. So what what makes a you know? And Kat Lester, who's been a guest on our podcast, has written about horror films for children. And what so in your view, what is a horror film for children? Is it about the? Is it, does it include children as protagonists? Which is not all. Either there are horror films that that include children that are quite. Horrific, like the exos- that. So children are doing things that are unusual. Um, this film obviously chimes with a film like Monster House or Frank and, Weenie and you know we, we can talk about that. Um, it feels like it's doing something different. Is it just that it's scarier, but includes? Is, so I, I, in your mind, what is what is a horror film for children? And, and I mean, it's a, a horrible question, to ask, But is there? Is a... is there yes, such a job, Chris? Um. Yeah, yeah. Just the, this is a cycle of, of films. I guess what I'm really asking is, is this a subset of horror cinema or is this a type of children's cinema?
2: I would say it's both. Right. I would say it's both. Um, I think in terms of what is a horror film for children, I think you can take the argument that it's, it's... films with children protagonists confronting horror and I know that's something yeah. Kat Lester yeah, yeah. has written extensively about and really well that there is something about that it, it enacts a narrative where, right, where right. children can recognize themselves on screen confronting horror and also negotiating and, and processing fears and processing right, right. threat and I think that is a really it's one again it's one of the benefits of horror and it's one of the pleasures of horror it's, it's challenging yourself to to what scares you and confronting these things and Um, Learning and learning how to cope with fear and anxiety in a kind of safe space. And that's what horror often does. And I think that that works really well in in children's horror. Now, I I wouldn't say that all horror films for kids have to have children protagonists. And I think the other way of looking at it is ones that really focus on monsters. Mm -hmm. Because monsters are often a way... um, That you can, they often serve like as an allegory or as a kind of method of confronting fears. And and for that, I don't think kids need children protagonists. I think anything with monsters and people dealing with those, confronting those or sympathizing with, identifying with monsters, Mm -hmm. you know, is also a way for kids to engage with horror. And kids are very clever about. Kind of recognizing mm-hmm. uh, themselves in the monsters, or recognizing the monsters as threats in different ways. So I, I you know, I don't think there's one way. Yeah. Um, but I think it is. I think a lot of the pleasure is is that confrontation.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, yeah. in a, with my. Horror hat on, and not my animation. If only hat you were on.
1: wearing an actual yeah. horror hat, I then know. this would be. Anyway. It would be great. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, but with my horror hat on, I would say that often with kids, and again, I'm, I'm this is I'm not an expert in children and media, but I think that one of the things with kids is they also do want to challenge themselves to see things that are a bit older, that are aimed a bit older, uh, yeah. and recognizing, and, and, and I say that from my own experience, I mean, most horror fans will talk about the fact that we all probably watch things that we're arguably a little too young for, Yeah. but that's part of the attraction. So I think good horror for, that is yeah. trying to be for kids needs to recognize that kids don't want it to be too tame. They want to see something that is challenging them because yeah. that's part of the fun of it and you don't want to feel like oh well it's too safe
0: yeah because yeah,
2: yeah. you know that's yeah. less fun and particularly for the, the the budding horror fan in children which most of us started as
0: yeah we'll come to paranormal specifically yeah. in a second but like just to stay on this for a second okay. it just feels like when we have these these conversations it, it's it's back to that point i've cited this a few times i think it's it's you and kirkland that makes this point but i'm sure other scholars do like, why don't we treat children in the same kind of cultural category as we might gender or race? Or why is age more deterministic in that way? Because actually, we can have this conversation about any genre, right? Why? why what, what is a children's comedy film, right? But for some reason, horror, the stakes feel harder because our culture... Creates a vision of childhood yeah, but in, also, which, yeah, in yeah. which horror doesn 't seem to be allowed part of it in the exact same way in which fantasy is the opposite effect right fantasy seems to be so simpatico with children because we like to think of children as dreamers, um, thanks to the Victorians basically but um, we like to think of that works that 's fine, and therefore adults aren 't allowed to enjoy fantasies, um, but horror is the other way around and exactly what you were saying that you could say the same about comedy right comedy fans start watching comedies that are, Deemed not appropriate for them at younger ages because they want to test themselves. But there's just something there's something it, it's less about the films themselves and more about kind of our cultural understanding of what the space of childhood should yeah. be. Because actually, children don't want anything because there's no such thing as children. There's just lots and lots of individual young people <laughs> all wanting lots and lots of different things, right? You know? Um so so in a way, there's something political about sort of what what, why not talk about why not make a children's horror even though that is something that's against the grain of kind of current practices and i think this film kind of just does it and does it really well and smartly and and demonstrates that yeah you can just do it it's fine it's fine like you know we can all get over this it's okay it's fine your children aren't going to be corrupted by seeing a zombie it's fine like you know so so, okay so my question is going to be so what does the anime is
1: is part of that the animation like, this is the thing about animation whether it exaggerates or dilutes does it and I think so, so when you were when you were talking about the confrontation children like to I don't know that the, the horror does some something for them that, that, that we have children that are confronting and it's interesting that a lot of a lot of like whether it's it's in Frank and Weenie or this film that these, these kids they like horror and they like horror movies and they like to make horror movies and they like to talk about horror movies and yes. they screen them for a family and so they're already fans and I think that's interesting um if we've already talked about anim- uh, um, children and horror, what's what's the animation bit doing in this relationship? Is yeah. it is it amplifying? Oh, I don't know. What is the animation doing in this? Oh.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say generally, I think animation um, can either amplify or dilute. Um, and I think that's often... And I think what's interesting with how people receive um, horror, like children's horror, is yeah. that when it's animated, it's perceived to be... Safer because it's not real, so it, yep. you know it will automatically get a slightly. Uh, people will be less concerned about the certificate. Yep, people will seem more comfortable because it's safe. What I find really interesting um, with horror animation and paranormal, I think does this really well, is that. I think, actually, like animation can enhance the horror yes. in really exciting way, and, and particularly stop-motion, yes. which is inherently uncanny and, and seems deadgy, really well-suited to horror. Yeah. Um, so I think something like Paranorman does this really well, where actually you start off in what seems like a very safe space... It's work introduced to to Norman uh, watching TV, watching a, a, an animated well, what in in our terms is an animated zombie film in his world is just a zombie film. <laughs> yeah, and, but he's watching a rather cheesy, schlocky horror film on TV. And it's safe. No one's concerned. His parents aren't concerned about him watching this. He's yeah. watching it with his grandmother, mm-hmm. that she's a ghost. We don't initially yeah. know. But, you know, he's watching it in a safe space and it is presented as being very safe. But as the film goes, you know, and you're confronted by horror, by whether it's the zombies or the witch or the adults and the human. you know, actually the animation, there's something wonderfully unsettling about these characters. So mm-hmm. we see... Um, the zombies' bodies literally falling apart. We see, um, you know, the, ki- the kids being chased by these kind of monstrous creatures or what seemed to be initially mm-hmm. monstrous creatures. And I think the animation really brings that home. There is something unsettling about them, something slightly abject. Um, and then by the time, and I don't, we we can spend more time, I don't want to leap to the ending, but I think by the time we get to The Witch... The witch is this wonderfully unsettling, scary creature who is beautifully constructed through animation, all different types of mm-hmm. elements of animation that's put together, which makes her wonderfully scary. Uh, that works so well. And I, so I think the animation does enhance the horror yeah. because we spend a lot of time trying to work out, how, you know, what is she? what is like what how we can't even try to identify how she's made It's not simple no. in the way that the little zombie tv zombie we see at the beginning is so obviously kind of clay you know it just looks really squishy and clayish yeah. like play doh and then we get to the end of something that's really sophisticated yeah. and unsettling and yeah. i think it, it knows exactly the path it's taking us on to get to that horror moment
1: yeah. I, I mean, I have lots to say, but lots yes, of yes. things I want to ask you and probe you about the, the animation. Should we do the bread
0: and butter business no, no. and do and do the synopsis of sure, this movie we're okay, about to you. talk about? Um, Who would like? Would you, Stacey? Would you like the orders, or uh, what? What is your synopsis of uh, of Paranormal? Yeah.
2: My
3: synopsis of <laughs> Karen Norman.
0: Yeah. Um, yes, we only have an hour, so yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> a lot it would, We just cut around no. it, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it
2: is. Um, it's a story of a young boy named Norman who lives in a small town that has a, that has a reputation for being kind of haunted by a witch's curse, um, which has become sort of a, a tourist attraction. Um, but he himself is also someone who's marked out as being quite different because he can see ghosts, which makes him strange, makes him a freak, and no one um, really believes him. Um, And then what happens is the film takes us on a journey as he discovers that that ability is um, part of a birthright to become someone who will effectively tame the the witch every year, that it's his responsibility to stop her from enacting Mm. the curse. And it follows her, him on that journey as he tries to make sense of what that responsibility is on the one night of this anniversary of the witch's curse.
0: Hmm. Very good. I think that sounds about. It. I've written down uh, comedy from the perspective of the kid from the Sixth Sense question mark. So, um, um, but yeah, <laughs> I, right. I think I think you describe that opening very well. Where you get the kind of yeah, this lovely well this this supposedly lovely scene of him with his grandmother which is a lovely scene even when it's revealed but it's playing with kind of the what that sets up and what you've described in the plot there is the film is very interested in playing with kind of different registers of i guess i guess horror where where horror actually lies right and i think that's i think it might be talking about this making it as a as a as a kids horror film often that means it's made by people who are horror fans, who are almost having to fight for the for their own identity, their own, and so often they're they're outsiders and watching horror and liking horror in these movies is an act of rebellion Absolutely. or an act against the status quo. But it reminded me this town that it's set in. It reminded me as anyone ever have had the pleasure of actually going to Salem yeah. in okay yeah great in in, in um. In, in, on the east coast of America and, and it reminded me of Salem and I suspect it's it's meant to because it's a very similar town, a historic town and I remember going to Salem and Salem is a wonderful example of a place that um, is spooky but, but is spooky to, to conceal its horrific origins and I think that's what this film is ultimately quite interested in is the difference between spookiness or abjectness, physical abjectness and true horror yeah. because what what's mad about salem is it's if you walk up and down the high street it's got all these kind of ghost shops don't they and like ghost trains and spooky things and it's like this tourist trap but obviously the reason it's got this reputation is because of the very real horrific <laughs> yeah. crimes yeah. against women against a community, you know, all of that, which you can, if you're really desperate to find out about, there's a small plaque in a park in the corner of the town that mm-hmm. no one else is looking at because they're all running up and down eating cotton candy made of skull caps and things like that, right? And and this film has that kind of sense of there is a real horrific history lurking behind all this spookiness, um, if only you would search for it, right? Um, yeah, so I thought, so yeah, do you have any... Uh, the film uses horror... And the tropes of horror to, to kind of make a statement about what truly is horrific and what isn't. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, and it plays, and I think by using the horror fan as that main character, so Norman who loves his zombies and loves his horror, you know, it's about him being able to see beyond the tropes that are, and the commercialism and the exploitation to actually recognize actually that there is something truly monstrous, at beh- that that. Not only lies beneath the surface of the of the town that was, I mean, like Salem, like if like I've been to Salem, Salem is a, is a is a town that has commercialized that that history, mm. but also has you know actually buried it. Yes, there's nothing left of the original Salem, and it's really interesting the way you go there and it's just they have literally just erased that and then exploited it, and you see the same thing in paranormal mm-hmm. this idea they have erased this and commercialized in the in the most grotesque way in the sense of the witch is the cliche even to the point in the school play the little girl playing the witch says why do we always have to depict the witch with the hook with the nose and the warts and is a hideous mm-hmm. and it's playing with that and I think it really knows that it's about this horrible history of the past but the ways in which that past repeats in the present so the the ways in which um, Norman himself is ostracized because of his difference, mm. is our hint to what the, the, the horror is in the past. Mm. That it's about difference, about these these people, kids, whomever, who don't fit in and don't conform, who challenge people's expectation or understanding of, and I'm going to, if you could see me, you'd see my air quotes, <laughs> normality. You know, it's that they don't fit in. And they're therefore a threat. And it's that it's that fear factor, that response to that threat that actually reveals the real monsters of the films, which are, you know, not the supernatural monsters. Mm. And I think that's what's really, what the film negotiates in a really clever way and uh, works really well.
1: Yeah, okay, interesting, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, as you said, the film the film begins where, and it's, it's the same with Frank and Weed. I think that there's a lot of, comparisons between these these right. two films in terms of the young horror film fan and uh, outsider derman and and some I, I had a question about kind of the specifics of stop motion because there are plenty of horror films um computer anim mainstream computer animated horror films so the hotel transylvania series is probably a good example mm-hmm. but um I re- f- remember the mon- Monster Family. Sure.
0: Uh, are, are these horror
1: films, though? Right. So they <laughs> are described as computer animated monster comedy films, um, and which is that's fairer, by, I think. Yes. Um. Um, but it feels like th- those films, these films. I- I'm just. I think that the computer animatedness of it lends itself to the to that I- kind of identity. Okay. Whereas the stop motion, and I don't know whether it is just the fact that stop motion is uncanny, or is there. Is there, there's, there's obviously more There's more to it. There's more to it, because stop motion is uncanny. The objects exist in the real world. It's only through the special... But right, okay. And so it makes it perfect fodder for horror. But is it? Is there more than that with regards to what stop, stop motion is doing? Because a lot of these films, Frank and Weenie's the same, they're interested in, like, different... So in Frank and Weenie, he's making terrible stop motion films that are very different to the stop motion movements of characters in the... So, I don't know, there's something around... It's more than just the stop motionness, Or, or is there something intrinsic about the stop-motion beyond the fact that they are objects and it's uncanny that really does lend itself to to horror in a way that smooth, pristine computer graphics making quite horrific, horrific images in Monster ha- Family, and decapitations and hotel transport, like it's played for laughs. But that seems, it's a bit technologically deterministic, but I just feel that why are so many stop motion films in the horror genre and is it is it you know whether it's frankenweenie or coraline to some extent paranormal corpse bride why 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 is there such
2: it's a really good question i'm spending a lot of time <laughs> thinking yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. that at the moment yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the argu- one of the things i would say is that um Horror is drawn to materiality. Yes, There's something very physical about horror. I mean, it's for the same reason, going back to the comment about CGI, is yeah. that particularly when CGI effects first start being introduced, um, they, they work really well in science fiction. And yeah. in horror, we all just go, it doesn't work because it, it feels intangible. And you just don't feel, yeah, like, yeah. you know, it just doesn't feel like it has effect. That's obviously changed a lot, but, but I still think that there's something about horror that is really drawn to that materiality, that physicality, um, that feeling, uh, and and I think so. I think the stop motion works that way. Yeah. Um, that it's allowed to be a little, little more grounded in a in a real space, grounded mm. in its its setting and its environment, and it and if you think look at the behind the scenes on Paranorman and Frankenweenie and, and all these, these films they're really kind of beautifully constructed sets, they, yeah. the thought of lighting, now, you know which is really you feel the light on these characters, you feel that kind of atmosphere that's being constructed and I think all of that kind of surrounding material and the, very mate- the materiality of the actual characters, the zombies the witch, really does ground them in something that feels quite tangible yeah. And I think tangibility is a big part of horror that we 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 kind of we we respond more to things that feel physical. Yeah. Um even whether whether they're intended to be that or not like um I was just, uh for something else writing about Frank Myers' uh, yep. lightness dark lightness is that the order or dark light yeah lightness dark lightness which is all about clay and it's about art and creation. But whenever I've shown it to my students because this is a film which basically has, basically a small house and bits of body parts made of clay arrive in the house and gradually you know put themselves together into a human body, um, and the 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 squishiness of the clay and the physicality of these body parts always respond in this kind of very vocal kind of response from my students and now my students that sometimes laughter some Mm. of it's very funny but also some of it is making kind of noises of disgust like it's sort of disgusting and i think there's so there's something about the physicality that lends itself to how we respond to the affect
1: yeah and um, also but sound though but because absolutely because because computer animation doesn't well digital images don't make us don't make a sound but also stop the stop motion objects don't make a sound because of the way that the labour works. And, and yet there is something that, that the sound effects of St. Meyer films are striking. The, yeah. sa- the, the materiality of things rubbing together, even though, even though it's no more or no less artificial because of the way that it's made, yeah. you need to. they aren't going to rub like that because they'd have to rub 24 frames a second. Like, this is not going to work. Yeah. And yet there's something about the no- stop motion makes a noise
0: somehow yeah riffing on this more is there something about it's kind of the pro filmicness of, of, of stop motion that yeah. I mean what are you know this is a bit too essentialist but and a bit too cute but like you know if you think of you know kind of proto-horror uh, mm-hmm. stories of of um certainly the last kind of 200 years right they're often about you know the the the, the, the aliveness of death or the deathness of being alive or the kind of yeah. the, the uncanniness of yeah. that yeah. you know vampires zombies yeah. things like that. there is something zombie-like about yeah. animating a, absolutely. A, a an object that isn't true of a drawing it's yeah. in a different register yeah. yeah um in a way they are zombies Absol- um, absolutely yeah. I, I, we're talking about affect at the moment and i, and I wondered i don't know if this is going to could send us down too much of a quagmire, but I'm interested in the relationship in that and um the slightly more kind of cerebral interpretive response that this film can mm-hmm. offer. And certainly in certain interviews, they've they've invited that kind of response. I suspect from a slightly more adult audience, but I mm-hmm. you know again, let's not discount what children can and can't do. Maybe, mm-hmm. um but um and this idea of the zombie mm-hmm. as a figure of metaphor and often a figure of metaphor for. Uh, for either memory or history or kind of the underbelly of society, all these kind of things, and, and how the, the film uses that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess to not ask 80 questions at once, I'll start by asking sort of what you think the function of the the metaphorical function of, of zombies is in this movie, given that there's usually a metaphorical function for zombies in, in horror history, right? You know, mm-hmm. if we get, I mean, the classic one is like the Romero movies, right? Everyone sort of cites this as the. Yeah all of Romero's movies can theoretically be interpreted as the zombies represent something. So what's it, Night of the Living Dead? It's kind of race. And in, in uh, I'm going to get my Living Dead's mixed up now. Is it Day of the Dead's the next one? And that's consumerism and so on and so on yeah. and so on. So what are the zombies in this in this film? What are they well, representing? Do do, or Do yeah. they? No, I think they function? do. Yeah.
2: And I think that is a fair way. I think the film, they're very knowing of their zombie lore and mm. their zombie... Um, those traditions of allegory and i would say that the, there's a number of things they do i think on one hand zombies and do stand in for adults
3: mm-hmm. yeah there's yeah. a
2: great line where they where they say it's the zombies and they just pause then no you oh, no, it's grown-ups even worse <laughs> you know so i think they are from the point of view of these children and these slightly outsider children these adults the kind of the not just any, it's not parents, it is grown it's the grown-up world and all the prejudices that they represent. And I think in a film that fundamentally comes down to being about persecution and this narrative of the witch's curse being about persecution, going back to the comment made about Salem, yeah. the zombies become initially or revealed to finally be the kind of The remnants of those of those people who persecuted the innocent, Um, so I think that's a big part of it. But I think there's also a sense that there's also something rather sad about the zombies, because it's also they also represent because they're eventually revealed to be not a threat. You know, as much as you know that they are actually they are themselves cursed, so they're also a kind of thing an allegory for. for people who have done wrong and are trying to now kind of escape that legacy for themselves. So there really is a sense where they represent kind of the sad, or, or the, I wanna say pathetic, is that too mean to the zombies? Um, sort of pathetic legacy of people who have who have judged wrongly and have now, now been reduced down to this kind of undead body like that they are them they have themselves become the monsters okay yeah and I think it's that idea of revealing them to be the monsters that they are they are kind of showing their inner monster when they finally become these abject bodies yeah, yeah. and uh, so I think that's a key bit but I like the fact that um, the zombies themselves are finally shown to be not the threat and fundamentally kind of sad and pathetic that they are just... They need his help. They need Norman's help.
0: So, mm. so to to riff on that, I've got a, like a few thoughts on this. But I, I guess what, where I'm coming at this is mm. that I alf, often talk about metaphor, and I've got quite a sort of ambivalent relationship with metaphor, with as a as a theorist of fantasy, because quite often it's used in. F- I want. I wonder if you share this um, concern or not. It's often used by scholarship, or indeed just in the reception, the sort of immediate critical reception, to justify its um, its you know it's it's not just uh, some goblins and some and some fairies running around in the woods. It's, all it's actually all about yeah. something else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's that kind of uh, that Peter Jackson when he got the Lord of the Rings, said he said thank you for looking past all the hobbits and the trolls and things. Yeah. And I sort of think that's it, right? It's this idea. I don't like the idea of looking past all these things. I quite like all those things. Yeah. So why can't I just look at them? thanks um <laughs> so i guess i'm interested in that and whether th- this desire to, to allegorize the zombie takes us away from some of the stuff we were just talking about in terms of it's just affective quality which might be it's which it's certainly where it where the, the genre is doing whatever it does mm-hmm. at its most genre yeah. um And then I'm also interested in the way the film then plays with those things in the film itself, right? And that actually Norman has to do, you know, in Night of the Living Dead, the characters don't go, oh my God, it's about race, about like two thirds before the end, right? You know, and and solve the problem because they work out actually, you know, if if they just, um, I don't know, join the progressives and vote vote a better civil rights agenda than the zombie apocalypse will end. But the characters in this do do that. So I wonder if what distinction that makes to kind of... Some of this stuff, I don't know. That's some. Th- I know that's like eight things, but pick one of them, and we'll, yeah. we'll see where we go.
2: No, I mean just go back to the the yeah. issue of allegory. I mean, I agree, I do agree. I mean, I, I don't mind allegory, but I think it, we have to not see it as um, limiting of what's going on. I think sometimes it is a um, shade of what we're watching. It's one layer of what we're watching, and sometimes it's intended. Sometimes it's a care. It's a. It is that clever way of justifying and get and kind of and appeasing the critics again, particularly for malign genres where people say, Well, why would you want to watch um, zombies? Yeah. Well, because it's about consumerism. You know I completely agree yeah. that that is it's a get out of jail free card to
0: mm-hmm. say
2: here we can do this
0: and um, I guess with this film why would you want to make kids watch zombies well don't worry they're metaphors it's, yeah well, don't, the don't oh, oh, more stuff. than that don't worry they're animated yeah, 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 yeah all yeah, animation yeah, 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 yeah. is you know it's an it's an ant- yeah, well animation yeah, yeah. animation studies will say all
1: animation is a metaphor because yeah. it has to be so, it has yeah. to be commenting on something sure, it's yeah, always sure. rhetorical as you've heard me say many times yeah so it's all metaphor it's all it's all symbolic it's all in some ways allegorical because it's the comment on the thing or the Interpretation yeah. of the thing, not the uh-huh. never the thing itself, yeah. um, and so I wonder. This is the thing about whether the animation's adding a bit of a bit to this safeness, safeness yeah. to it. But anyway, yeah. sorry, yeah. I was no, no,
2: no. I think these are all good points. I mean, and, and I think, and I think, having said that, like, I, and I think it is an excuse. It is, it is often is that get out of jail free card. But I also think that you know it's part of the long history of horror that horror, you know, and monsters often are because in a way they serve. If not a kind of cult, like a an a, 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 an individual function, that often they are part of how we negotiate, kind of what we how we see the world is how we feel ourselves to be monsters or see other thing as monsters. Mm. So I think I don't really have a problem with that. I think, but it's limiting to only look at it that way and say actually there's a lot going on with these intersections between yeah. the pleasures of zombies or other monsters and the um, intellectual. Thinking about it and I think kids are smart like with the film like Paranorman I think kids are smart enough to get it on both levels like you know I think they can see what it's doing and and Frankenweenie is a similar one where it's you know it's it's all dealing about death and confronting Mm. children with death and and actually one of the things I find interesting both this film of Paranorman and Frankenweenie is the ways in which these stories are about confronting children's with the with the reality of death and grief And providing, using the fantastical narrative and the horror to actually talk about things that we're not supposed to talk to young kids about, um, which is that people die and that we're all going to, that we're going to die. And I think that's one thing, definitely, it's an obvious narrative of Frankie Weaney with, you know, young Victor bringing his dog back to life. But I think Paranorman is dealing with it in an even more sophisticated way because, you know it becomes the reality that Norman lives with which is that he's surrounded by ghosts mm. and he's surrounded by and, and ghosts that um, tell you exactly how they died like you know that opening sequence when he walks down the street and you see the world from his perspective they're not just ghosts, they're ghosts who are like hanging from a tree because they they got caught in a tree um, from a parachute I yeah. think in that or the, the gangster who was clearly killed in her, the mobster was killed in the river with cement shoes and you know th- there's something about them that's really confronting you people with how they died
3: mm. Mm. and
2: so i think that and that's something where it's using that allegory to not just explain it in a way that makes it safe but actually to say actually we're talking about something that we're not su- that traditionally we're not supposed to talk about with kids in this way or expect our kids movies to be talking yeah. about um and i think coming back to the main narrative around the witch that's the real power of the narrative around the witch is not just that she's a witch but it's the fact that she was is how she died mm-hmm. and that, and then who it is and when it's revealed who she is that's a really powerful moment to say this is the worst case this is the worst case scenario this is why the real monsters are not the they're not the wit is not the witch it's the people behind um, the zombies who basically hung, hung yeah.
1: the witch. A, a lot of these kind. I mean, I said these kinds of movies, Frank and Weenie, Coraline, Paranormal. Cor- there's always those two. There's the There's always the adults, and then there's always something else. And a lot of these films do this, where and I, and I, and I don't, I don't know why, but I find it, it, it often it's refreshing that the character, certainly Paranormal, it doesn't begin with him learning to acquire this power. He's just kind of got it, and we just move on with the. So they decided that we shouldn't talk about it. Or the the animated horror, or children's horror is used to talk about things that we shouldn't really talk about. It's refreshing that the children are already implicated in these stories anyway. Because and they and, and another parallel I'd say is something like Coco, which is also about yeah. death and seeing and people and figuring out how people die. And yeah. but it, it feels yeah. different because it's CGI. Anyway, um, so I think the the the, the two tier villains. There's always the okay, yeah, adults are the villains, but there's always something else. And I quite like I liked how that film, how the how this film played with. Played with that and and kind of really pushed it. I feel like it really pushes the. That's what makes it so successful. Yeah. So I thought it was yeah.
0: But I'm but I'm playing with a with a paradox that Cla- I think classic sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's that's what's on the t-shirt, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is that. I don't know. I think there's something about the ending of this movie which, seems to be caught up in a lot of what we're saying in that because it 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 sort of explains the metaphor i haven't i've got a problem with that and and and, and by explaining them it kind of provides a uh, an affirmative route to restoration and you know they're not left as monsters there's no monsters left at the end of the movie um only, mon- the the, only the adults only the adults and and even then there's there's been a level of reconciliation where the adults are no longer monstrous mm-hmm. because of all these sort of things that what it's Whilst I think that's very rich narratively and thematically, and I think uh, you know as a child I think I would respond very well to all the kind of ideas, and as an adult I do. I wonder if what's lost there is that it ceases to be a horror movie by the end of the movie, and the final sort of third of the movie yeah. isn't as isn't as it's not affecting as a horror movie anymore. Yeah. So it's almost it's almost like the end of Waltz with Bashir, which is we've talked about a lot of times now on this podcast. Where it has to suddenly go. Well, if we're going to do this properly, we have to turn into live action. It's almost yeah. like this film goes. We've got this far being a horror movie, but to get us out of this, we're going to have to sort of shed our. We can't have the slasher still be in the bath at the end. You know, right mm-hmm. into, and a, a, that that seems paradoxical to me in terms of we've made this kids horror movie, but. Part of what we've done here is kind of explain its horror away, um, mm. and therefore it's no longer a ho- it's no longer there's nothing to be scared of at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and most horrors don't do Give that. that. Away. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Do you, you know, yeah,
2: no, that's really really interesting. <laughs> that's really interesting, and I think you're right. I mean. I'm just kind of working it through in my own. Yeah. Oh, he does because this all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's like a, a really yeah. No, it's a really interesting idea because you're right. tradition Particularly modern horror doesn't reconcile. In fact, that's one of the kind of defining features of modern horror. Um, probably not, I don't like to say first, but, you know, it's definitely the Night of the Living Dead um, yeah. idea that you end it where the, the, you can't contain the monster—you can't contain it. It's just out there, and that is definitely an element—an element of what is kind of pleasurable or whatever, because the monster is bigger than our ability to control it. Um, and I and I think so. I think you're right. This one doesn't do that. But there's some, and I, and, I, and one could argue that it is because, and again, it goes back to it's because it's aimed at kids that it has to kind of reassert a sense of of safeness at the end.
3: Yeah, it's it's not just that
0: it doesn't it doesn't end with a restoration. Yeah. Most a lot of horror movies will do that, but it kind of you know what's the, the uncanny invasion into mm. a horror movie is that there's a, a an evil in the world, yeah. right? And whether the evil gets vanquished, fine, but there's still a world in which evil is possible at the end of yeah. most horror movies. In this, it almost sort of suggests these things that you were thought were monsters, witches, things like that. They're not. Which I mean, there's a progressive element to that absolutely. message and things like that, but at the same time, it means that there's no monsters left. There actually aren't any monsters in this movie.
2: No, um, absolutely. In, in the way there are
0: in Live, Night of the Living Dead*. Yes. Um, yeah.
2: But I, I think that. But I think that, in a way, the, what it's the function it's doing is to to flip our understanding of what monsters sure. means. Yeah. And I think and 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 I think that's where the idea of because Aggie is a monster at the end. Like up until she is. She, he convinces her to give up her hate. You know, she is terrifying, and she is monstrous. She's physically monstrous. Going back to the animation, the animation yeah. really presents her as being other. Um, and But she's, he eventually is able to break through to her to understand that what the real monsters hate. So it is, it is nicely contained. I would argue, I mean, I suppose when I come away, I don't feel, like, I feel like the film is saying, yes, there are no monsters anymore in this town, they've reconciled this, but I feel like because of the theme of what, like going back to the themes, I think because of the nature of what they're saying about what is monstrous which is prejudice, lack of understanding, lack of empathy, fear well that's not gone away I think so I don't think that's, I don't feel like they're saying the world is now no. like uh, not fearful of these things and that's the real monster and so i think for me i still come away feeling like well there are monsters in the world this town has sorted it but yeah. it do- you know i i feel like it's not saying well that's all sorted for the rest of the world like i think yes we're we, we're sorted it here and i think that story is saying but the real monster is 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 hate and fear
0: it, it, itself? It's it, and I guess this links back to what it's—it's it's a children's horror movie, and so yeah. like there's there's that kind of act of reclaiming that yeah. space. It reminds me—I don't actually know this firsthand, but I know Mark Kermode, the film critic, you know, big horror fan, tells this anecdote a lot. Or is, it, think, is it John Carpenter mm-hmm. who went to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, and says I went I went and watched it on like repeat on a double bill, and then I went home and slept like a child because it pacified my soul. And it's this idea that like ho the the true horror in life is not the horror fans aren't the thing you need to worry about. Yeah. They they've worked through their problems yeah. uh, by enjoying their their entertainment. It's 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 the repressed. It's the yeah. it's the you know you know the, the monster the big monster movies the slasher movies that you're all terrified about showing your children. Yeah. That ain't the problem. It's yeah. the everyday monstrosity that yeah. that well that they will encounter because they live a life. But actually, the real horrible monstrosity that we won't let them encounter. It's the back to the Salem analogy. The, the 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 spooky high street is 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 horrific only because it hides the true horror yeah. that that we really should be confronting yeah, Abs- yeah, yeah
2: absolutely absolutely and I think that's where and even at the end because one of the sort of microcosm ways in which it explores that those kind of fears is through Norman's relationship with his father and his father is in complete denial about anything to do with the supernatural doesn't believe him when he says he sees yeah. ghosts just complete denial and you know it comes round to the end where the father is has recognized and finally accepts this and walks into the room and makes a comment is your is your grandmother here tell her I say
3: yeah,
2: hi yeah. I can't remember what he says but mm. you know it's a nice moment he's still clearly uncomfortable like he's still not quite there so it's not saying like he's still like you know but he's trying yeah so there's an attempt he can't still he isn't able to see her but he recognizes and he tries but he's kind of uncomfortable he's uncomfortable he's visibly uncomfortable Mm. so i think that it's those little things which say that actually yeah there is something you know these are the things we need to watch out for and these are the things that are where the real real danger lurks
1: mm-hmm. I mean it, maybe this goes back to the, the sort of two tiers there's the parents and then there's the other it seems to me that, that in the, in a lot of these movies mm-hmm. that there's a kind of a horror has just become a series of embodiments for children first of all it's just they're, they're sort of the villain is the parents and there's always okay. a sister that they don't get on with and then their sister's jock boyfriend or the, Monster House does this very well but they, that, that's a sort of they're unhappy with their home life because they're and they're outside or they get bullied at school we know we know the drill then that gets transferred onto some like an actual monster that kind of takes them away a little bit from the previous problem and then so and then it's something else and so the children's horror seems to kind of work with this series of transference where it's first it's the fear of the oh, the, the, the adults are the villains and then it's the real monster and then it'll, after the film it'll probably be something else and then it'll be something else after that and the monster is just one of a series of things that the child will have to encounter. And what you said—the like real horror is—is is the feelings that undergird all of those different connections, or all, all of those encounters with these different kinds of things. Yeah. Fear about something. So that kind of two tier. There's always a two tier. They 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 always don't get on with their family, and that's really important. And then and the dads are a bit alienated, and that's that's, and they do a bit of reconciliation, but it's only through, working working through their relationship with a monster that that is then reconciled and that primes them for the next time they encounter a monster whatever yeah. that looks like or something like that
0: yeah it's interesting I, 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 I was struck watching I almost thought the film was made a few years later than it was when I was watching it because I was thinking you talk a lot about that kind of uh, Trump and kind uh, of, yeah. uh, ni- nicety and the importance cool. of nicety yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and this felt like a kind of a horror movie made in the era. I mean, it was a bit. It's a bit before it, right? But it, it's certainly yeah. claiming that sense yeah. that of, of yeah, of nice of, cool of, of, that. Of, of, of the sort of political importance of self care, I guess, and yeah. uh, and and things like that. It's yeah. a, it's a movie with a very generous spirit to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely,
2: yeah, absolutely. I think it is about um, you're right. Self care. It is about kind of coming to terms with who you are. Um, in terms of your own difference, but also where you sit within those family dynamics and that community dynamics. And just going back to um, the kind of th- the way it feels almost kind of Trump era, you know, it does feel like it's a film that's, you know, it's one of those films that's setting up a commentary on society that kind of we should have seen sooner than we did. And, mm-hmm. it, and you know, it's that thing above, bub- it was always bubbling there. So those depictions of the town you know, I think are really telling of that kind of culture that said, actually, these people were there, this idea, these these tensions of people's mm. resistance to difference, people's, um, I don't know, just political landscape is all, was all there. So I think some of the, the mob scenes, mm. which is a kind of classic horror trope. I mean, they are right out of Frankenstein, um, this mob, but they mm. are a very 21st century mob. Um, down to with lots of jokes about the police officer saying, you know, don't don't shoot the civilians. That's the police officer. Our job, yeah. Our job yeah. to do that, you know. And people coming out with weddings, you know, with weapons, and you know, there there's that and that power of the mob. And the zombies are the ones who just run away. Which is again, I mean, Night of Living Dead does that with the militia who are the ones who kill the zombies, and they're worse than the zombies. And it's sort of it's nodding back to that. So I think it's very much in that landscape of twenty first century culture of just the ways in which society is a bit is dysfunctional, and that's where the horror lies.
0: Mm. It's almost a film to me. I've it's sort of the trauma of bullying. I've written down is kind of what it's really that kind of the reciprocal, repetitive, um, undead quality of of kind of that right because it's a very sim well. It, it's it's almost it's it's quite a simple everyday trauma that that, that lies at the heart of the, the, the air quotes time the witch of the movie right yeah. that, that creates her identity which yeah. creates the identity of the zombies which creates the identity of this town mm-hmm. which creates norman which creates you know all this kind of layers upon layers of um of cruelty i guess yeah. is, is actually exactly what chris is saying actually yes um so that that struck me it's like actually this is sort of the way it it uses the horror tropes to kind of pull back those layers and kind of you can see it almost like a fractal from from norman straight to her it actually reminded me quite a lot of moana the ending of moana mm. with um where the, where the you know the the, the volcano, yeah, the yeah. volcano monster becomes actually just sort of like another the Good witch. Un, uh, yeah. another injured woman, yes. uh, the, you know, uh, um, uh, and Moana and looks a lot like Moana, right? You know, eventually, like there's there's something yeah. to
1: that. Um, yeah, the well, the injured. I was thinking like that's how Monster House, because that's the whole premise of Monster House is that we've that, you know that we've yeah. done on the podcast that that it's this. this yeah. The, the, it's really about the uh, the the wrong the wronged woman which is also what Corpse Bride's about and so I don't know there's some interesting I don't mean to do a disservice to the film by networking it together but it does seem that they're kind of it was released in 2012 and there's I think which is either the same year or the year before the same year as Frank and Weenie?
2: It is the same year Yeah same year yeah. as Frank
1: and Weenie and it it's just interesting that these two films sort of spring up in, in an interesting there way
0: There was an interesting maybe it's just all moved on to Netflix and I just no, don't <laughs> notice it anymore but like, there's, there seemed to be an interesting era of these of these kind of these horror kids uh, animations yeah. Yeah. that well, they were quite ubiquitous for a while, yeah. and then they don't seem to be made in quite so the what, same. But this is what um, I mean about why: is
1: it, it's not just that stop motion. I mean, it is that stop motion is uncanny. Like, of course, it is. Yes. But why all of a sudden all of yeah, these films yeah, yeah. doing this yeah. kind of work? Um, yeah, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we've known that
0: for a while. Why now? Yeah, exactly. I yeah, 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 told
1: yeah. us. Well, in fact, Starovich in the yeah, uh, whatever 1910s, yeah, yeah. 20s. Yeah, he told... We know that stop is yeah, uncanny. Yeah yeah, 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 So I don't need a film 80 years later to do go, we, by the way, it's really creepy because stuff do, like moves and Is Undead.
0: Is, I know that. So am I, is that right? Is that always just the wrong assessment that there, there was like this wave of these no, movies? Definitely
2: or, the wave um, yeah. of... I mean, and I would go beyond just... Um, stop motion because I can't remember exactly the year of Monster House but it's not that far off and you've got Hotel no. Transylvania yeah. which is, in, in, is, is also 2012 so it's the same year as Frank and Wee. What Weedon was going on in 2012? And it, yeah, absolutely and I think there's just something and, and obviously you know my the cynical head will say you know it's obviously cycles of yeah. you know we see this in every kind of filmmaking that you yeah, suddenly yeah. get these cycles Sounds because well. yeah, yeah. yeah like it just it's it's yeah. it, something does well and there's something that came out slightly earlier that shows you know showed popularity um, I think obviously um, and you're the better expert than me on the animation but you know I think something like Nightmare Before Christmas opened the door to saying you know feature length stop motion mm-hmm. was something that was Practical and achievable in ways, um, it set up a lot of ideas, and you have Coraline and Corpse Spry- Bride. Like you know, I think there is yeah. there is a kind of pure, a wave of recognizing the, the potential of doing these feature length films and horror. Um, I would also go then it becomes about the filmmakers making it who have are all. They're all little Normans who are going, but we're really horror fans and we want to be able to make this. So I think there's also those cycles because even, you know, Arben makes the Curse of the Were-Rabbits, sure. so, which yep. is playing with horror tropes. You know, and I think it's just this recognition that there is this potential, This is idea. It's not new, but it's now we're in a space where we have the tools to make these longer films um, hmm. remake these ideas and tie in with kind of the the rising popularity of horror in the 21st century which you know in the same period horror is becoming more mainstream as a genre I mean right, you right. know it is becoming you Very know and, interesting and it is becoming really popular beyond the horror fans you know so you're having really big global successes of found footage horror, you have mm, Blair Witcher yeah, 99, yeah. Uh-huh. you've got paranormal activity um, you know, like there's this whole like there's just this, this wave of horror that we're still in where it's just, you know, horror starts moving to television in the same period where suddenly we're seeing lots of horror so I think there's that increasing sense the horror is a very um, popular and malleable genre to work with across media
0: Zombies too, right? This yeah. I'd, I'd sort of forgotten that there was that period where yeah. there was like ten zombie movies a year, right? Yeah. This is like and and across different genres, right? This is the, I don't know, I can't place it exactly chronologically. We got this is also the uh, Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland and yeah. uh, all these different Absolutely. kind of. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay.
2: Absolutely. And on television, you have in twenty ten, you have The Walking Dead comes yeah, kind of on awesome. the air, mm. and you know, just it is just this explosive period, and I think. You know, and again, you know, with my TV horror hat on, because I have yet another hat. I was going to say, this um, is... You know, there's something about animation as this area that often mainstream people might say, mainstream critics might say, well, isn't a place for horror. Mm-hmm. People said the same thing about TV, but this, you know, people say, you know, for the longest time, people would say, well, you can't really do horror on television. But I think in this period of the 21st, suddenly every, all bets are off, and mm-hmm. everyone's saying, well, actually, horror is really really well cynically lucrative but also creative and lots of potential and we can think about horror in different ways it doesn't have to you know if, if you're on television you've got restrictions on what you can show which isn't the case now anyways but you know it's there are ways of doing horror and being quite bold and graphic on television that still gets around all the Censor issues, mm. um, and I and I just think that there's this this moment that suddenly people are just seeing potential to think of horror in very different ways across different media.
0: We're we're we're, get, we're starting to run out of time, so I guess there's a, is there wow. bits of the movie which went very quickly. So are there are bits this... of the movie. There's so much we could have said, but is there anything we really do need to say before we've uh, well, all, all we've I will go... say is
1: that we've talked about it as a stop motion film, but obviously it uses digital yeah. effects and right, and, yeah. and that sort of hybridity. So I'm going to go I'll garble this a little bit, but I've, I, Eilishwood has written about, um, and I think I might have mentioned this when we did it, when we did it, but Ardman in in the chapter called Ardman in an Entanglement with CGI is about pirates in an adventure with scientists about how it what it means for the tactility of handmade animation to come into a kind of conflict with the what she calls the digital made mm-hmm. the handmade and the digital made um and she says that often though that combination is either like kind of erased completely in promotional material or it's made a real f- virtue of and in Ardman's case you don't want to take Ardman away from the handmade so you emphasize that and th- so she talks about um Kind of these stop motion traditions, whether or not they work, how they work with digital interventions, do they, does digital, like the hiding, the veiling processes, and then she says how VFX creates and activates a hybrid digital physical space. And so I just thought it was interesting that we've sort of talked about it as a stop motion film, and actually it uses some interesting digital effects. Um, and sometimes when animation is involved, whether it's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where it's Buzz versus Woody like when animation's evolved it often seems easy to be like or to read it symbolically so at the end where he's facing off against this sort of digitized and I was thinking is it just new way is it it's not the old versus new like that's too rubbish and bargain basement but I don't know just felt interesting that there was a that it, stop motion tells some of the story but not all of it because it's digital so I wondered if you had any thoughts on its digital bits or whether you thought it used it effectively or were there key moments often the digital is used where you can't do it in stop motion so we yeah. need to do it in so really yeah. I just want to pick your brains
2: yeah I mean um, I, found, I find the use this is for me one of the films I think is probably the most effect one of the more effective uses of yeah. integrating yeah. digital and, anime, and stop motion um, because and actually interesting that Watching a lot of the behind the scenes material that they talk more about that than they do in right. other ones, yeah, yeah, where they do kind of conceal the fact that, yes, we of course, use digital to erase things and we're yeah. using digital effects. They talk quite upfront about, the benefits and, and right. seeing this is quite hybrid and I and think what I like about um, The Witch at the end is the way that she is very much this hybrid of the yeah. stop motion and the digital that there are things cause, and I, and the fact that I spend a lot of time trying to work out how did they do that mm-hmm. um, because it's because it feels quite tangible but it's, and some of it doesn't so I think there's some really interesting kind of hybridity that I think really works for this mo- explosive monster moment um, but I you know so I think there's something so I'm not sure if I would read, you know, it being like at the end, you know, it's the big monster. Yeah, it's no. The yeah, Because yeah. I actually, what I think, but I, but I, for me, it is that she becomes this real complex hybrid, that there is something yeah. really like, like she is both physically bound she has a body she is a puppet but she is also extends way beyond that and Mm. I really like that that she almost Mm. explodes on screen yeah like all that and it's you know it's again going back to allegory right you know it's rage and she's exploding but just visually it's just I find it really dynamic and really quite exciting to watch the sequences because she just seems so much more than Digital or stop motion. It's like she just pulls everything together and is a bit of everything, yeah. which I really like. Well, it
1: seems like those the stop motion films lend them. You talked about uh, uh, kind of the extra textual behind the scenes yeah. stuff. It seems like c- the computer animated film special features on DVDs are sort of a bit terrible. Yeah. They don't really tell me. Whereas, and I wonder whether this is a like, I think, which we haven't really talk, kind of talked about, no, whether or not yeah. they really do embrace there's so many videos of, of them animating. like yeah. That's almost part of it, that they, they show the green kind of green screen and blue screen. So they're not afraid. Mm. And they're not afraid to declare that kind of technology. And so yeah. I find that kind of quite it, it, quite refreshing when a lot yeah. of it is, no, we still use the handmade, so don't worry, we're not going to... This is the Ardman thing, but it feels like Leica are really embracing the mixed media to really good effect.
2: Yes, absolutely. And, I, and you're right, I think they're really upfront and I think it's part of their their kind of image as a studio mm-hmm. is to say, like, like, this is what we do, this is what we create, but they always include both in the extra features but also over the credits of the films, those little yeah. moments where you get to see in kind of stop motion the creation of something um Mm -hmm. so at the end of Paranorman, you actually see the creation of norman from you know armature through to a little walking norman and i really like that that becomes that's actually part of the text yeah yeah. and you're right and i think that's just that, that they are and i think there's a recognition that a part of the that a pleasure to stop motion for audiences, is the how they made it that that's part, that is part of the pleasure and it's part of things where people mm. enjoy, they enjoy the the, 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 the physicality of it, but also just the the magic of filmmaking. Because yeah. it does feel quite magical. Whereas I think with digital, and I I think I think we just expect digital to look spectacular. You mentioned Coco earlier; it's mm. one of my favorites. It looks stunning, mm. and I kind of expect that digital animated experience. Yeah. I expect yeah. it to look like that and it's wonderful, And but I'm more likely to bask in the glow of Coco and just enjoy the spectacle, whereas there is something like you want to unpack Paranorman, to mm. think about how did they do that? And yeah. I spend a lot of time like going back and forth over sequences going is that digital or the ghost? How did they do yeah. that? Yeah. The ghosts because they're puppets, but they're clearly there's a digital effect or visual effects to kind of make it them look more Spectral. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and there's something about it sort of invites, I think, that. Yeah,
1: and no, I think that the, the, kind of the, almost the, the, the medium specificity of stop yeah. motion,
2: yeah.
1: it does position you in a particular kind of viewing experience, yeah. and it does, you want to know, I said I wouldn't say the word aura, but I'm going to say the word aura, and this is specifically for one listener in particular. Like the, 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 the medium specificity is doing some work. It's, I know that you have your own version of. You no, know, I was more
0: saying for the listeners' benefit. No one knew that you were going to say aura yeah. until that moment. Yeah. So for listeners' benefit, no. Chris said just before we start going, I'm trying not going to use the word aura today, and now he's going yeah. to use the word. But aura. no, that, the, <laughs> that
1: that kind of medium specificity does position us to think about labour in really interesting ways. And yeah, that think of, yeah, that the one wants to lean into stop motion and know more and unpack in a way that perhaps CGI. Yeah. I don't, you know. Yeah, I was
2: was struck listening to a couple of behind the scenes um, features, and also I've been reading, I've been doing a lot of reading around stop motion and interviews with stop motion animators, and the fact that a number of them talk about the physical pain of, of. stop motion animation, like, because you are physically having to work around sets and talk about back problems. And there's something about just the sense of the language is around just the effort, Yeah, not just the love and the handmadeness, but also like, this is a a very painful, it's difficult, it's long hours, it's exhausting. It forces you to twist your Mm. own body in unusual ways, just to kind of work in the circumstances. And I find that really interesting. And you don't hear, and I'm sure digital animators or hand-drawn animators spend a lot of long hours and have back pain and have a lot of pain but we don't hear people talking about it in the same way or at least i haven't come across no, it no, no, the no. same way that you hear with stop motions where, where they're talking about it yeah this is really physically demanding
0: yeah yeah anyway yeah well, it's, 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 yeah well yes yes we could riff more but um but perhaps we shan't um yeah so so Stacey, this is this is these thoughts on paranormal are part of a gestating project on animation and horror more broadly mm-hmm. um, we're we're at the beginning stages of the project are we so uh, we we won't expect it out just yet but if listeners are listening in a few years time it might it might be out indeed yeah. um, so just talk to us a little bit about what you um are, are what you're thinking what you and, and where it is at the moment yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah
2: so yeah so the aim of the book it's um on horror animation and in part it's time with a lot of the ideas we've been talking about here is, you know, those synergies between horror and animation uh, as a, as a medium and as a medium specificity to think about how horror is constructed, but also how animation perhaps changes our understanding of horror and how horror changes our reception of animation, you know, just about what that dialogue is. But the aim is rather um, ambitious. So it's looking at short films alongside features, it's looking at multiple modes of animation, um, and really trying to think, of, and just different traditions of animation. So, you know, looking at that surrealist tradition mm-hmm. and thinking about that approach, but then also the more um, gore effects or um, that you get with people like Lee Hardcastle and Robert Morgan who do a lot of these much more graphic um, horror animation. So, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in kind of a, basically um, revealing, we all, you know, revealing that hidden narrative yep. of horror animation. That's, there's a vast amount out there. And it's one of those interesting projects that every time I talk to people about doing this, and when I say I'm writing a book on horror animation, they look at me with this blankness, like, and what is there? And then within a couple of minutes, they start coming up with titles. And I kind of mm-hmm. go, yeah, it's kind of to, to say, actually, there is a long mm-hmm. history of horror animation. Um, or intersections between the two that I want to kind of um, expose, play with, kind of think about. And that's kind of the big project.
0: Very exciting. Yeah. Look, looking forward to, it on your to, the, yeah, to the end result. So we'll have to have back you on to talk about it then. But um, Thank you. for now, Stacey, thanks so much for coming on and talking about Paranorman. Thank
2: you very much.
0: Uh, where can you find us? You can find us uh, at <laughs> FanAnim. <laughs> you, you can find where? us in the, in the murky past and our and, and, uh, zombie-like presence on fantasy-animation.org uh, where we have our undead blog and podcast, uh, which you can access the archive of. Uh, you can also use that handle FanAnimResearch, F-A-N-A-N-I-M Research search on all our social media handles to talk to us there you can also use the same way at gmail.com to email us with future footnote suggestions Um, oh yes otherwise that's been us for another episode and we'll see you next time
1: bye